Welcome back guys. Thanks for coming and I hope that what we'll briefly look at regarding God Almighty and His purpose will bless you a little bit and help you to see the Bible in a new light. I'm going to be discussing the subject, the kingdom as a grain of mustard seed. If any of you are familiar with the parables of Jesus Christ, then right off the top of your head, you're going to know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the parable of the mustard seed, which Christ told in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, and also in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 13 as well. I'm going to start off by going over the parable and briefly talking about some of the things that Christ mentioned there and what they might mean. Then we're going to go into the Old Testament and find an example that will help us to understand what those different parts of the parable really mean and why Jesus Christ said those things are true. And then after that, we're going to go to the last days, the time we are living in, the fulfillment of the science of the times in Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. And we'll try to see how this parable might be fulfilling in our time. So we've got quite a bit to go into today, so let's jump right into the subject. Like I said, this parable is recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, which reads, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So Christ was essentially using this analogy or parable to try to explain that spiritual things take time, a process, a period of time to manifest physically. You see, because God Almighty and the angels and heavenly beings he lives with in heaven are not human beings, they're above that physical realm, they don't take time to do things. They just do things and in a split second they're done. That's why angels vanish in the Bible and you see things just happening so fast. However, when spiritual things done in heaven are to transcend physically, it takes a process because we human beings are lower than the angels. That's why it takes us time to do things. It takes us time to move from point A to point B. It takes time for a baby to develop in the womb nine months before it finally comes out. It takes time for us to set up a business. It takes time for institutions to be set up. So everything takes time. So when spiritual things are to manifest physically, it now takes a process. So Christ was saying that when God Almighty would want to set up his kingdom, it would have to be sown as a seed in the world, which is like the field, if you read Matthew chapter 13, verse 38. And then it would take a process. It would gradually grow. And then once it would have grown and have matured, then people or institutions, which are the birds of the air, would begin to flock to that idea. It will become the supreme or predominant idea in society. And everyone would buy into it. I've just summarized the meaning of the parable for you. Now, like I said, the only way we can really understand it is to go to the Old Testament. Because everything Christ said is connected to the Old Testament. He didn't say anything like really new per se. Which is why he said that he was coming to fulfill the law. Rather than to add something new to it. If you read Matthew chapter 5 verses 18 to 20. 
So we're going to be looking at the kingdom of David and how it resembles or is in connection with the parable of the mustard seed that Jesus Christ told in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Let's start off with 1 Samuel chapter 16, where God Almighty sowed the seed of the kingdom of David. In that chapter, God sent Samuel to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And Jesse, upon hearing that his family was special now because one of his sons was going to be anointed, took his seven oldest sons and presented them before Samuel. He didn't bring David because he didn't think that David, of anybody, would be chosen. He was the youngest, just a shepherd boy, so he left him out. But if we know the story, we know that Samuel went through the seven sons. God didn't choose any of them, but it was that last born, the least of the house of Jesse, that God decided to choose. And if for Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, the seed was sown when the Holy Spirit entered into David. That text reads, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. I say the seed was sown in this case because at this point, now that the Spirit of God was with David, God was officially with David. And David, as a man and as a kingdom now, could only grow. Then as David won battles, he gradually got more famous. Like when he fought against Goliath, women started singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. If we read for Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 to 7. And everybody started liking him because it was clear that God Almighty was with him. And for Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, we can see that 400 men who were distressed and, and dead and were kind of low in society came to David and they formed his army. And it was with such men that David was able to build the kingdom. If you read First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 22, the writer of the Chronicle account had described how people kept coming until David's army, David's men became like a great host. He said, for at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host, like the host of God. If you read Chronicles chapter 12, verse 22. People started believing in what God was using David to build. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, we can see that David became king of Judah. Remember, this was just a shepherd boy. He is now risen to become king of Judah. And if you read 2 Samuel chapter 3, it describes how David's house kept growing, kept being built up, kept getting stronger and stronger. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And because Abner the son of Ner decided to support David in bringing the whole kingdom under his rule, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David was officially crowned king of all of Israel. So the birds of the air flocked in and lodged in the branches of what God Almighty was using David to build. And if you read onwards in 2 Samuel, we can see that David began to conquer more lands, the Amalekites and the Ammonites and so on. He defeated many lands and grew the empire. And it grew until Solomon became king of Israel. And that was like the peak of Israel's glory because other nations across the world came to see the riches and the might and the wisdom that was within that empire. So it became sort of world famous. People around the world, if you read 1 Kings chapter 
4, verses 21, 30, and 34. And Second Chronicles chapter 9, really from verses 13 to 28, we see that many nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, to see his riches, and to view what God Almighty had used a shepherd boy to put together. So, that is an example of the kingdom as a mustard seed. It started small. Nobody thought it was anything significant. Jesse didn't even think that God would choose David, which is why he didn't present him before Samuel. But if you look at the end, it was greater than all the other things that were happening. It overshadowed the house of Saul. It overtook many of the nations around them. And it grew to become a mighty tree, which people around the world trusted. And that's why until today, we read about that kingdom. So that is just an example to help us understand what the parable of the mustard seed means. Now that we've used the kingdom of David to understand what Jesus Christ was trying to use that parable to depict or explain, we're now going to proceed to the kingdom of God, which is what Christ crafted that parable to talk about. And I'm going to, as I describe what the kingdom of God is and how it's going to gradually grow, I'm going to tie it back to that parable so that We'll be able to easily see the connections. Now, firstly, what is the kingdom of God? Before we even get into how it's going to grow. The kingdom of God is essentially the process through which God would restore the world to righteousness. You find in the Bible that people like Peter the Apostle have spoken about the times of refreshing and the restitution of all things in Acts chapter 3 verses 19 to 21. This period of the new creation where he would create something new that would bring about peace and freedom in the world. If you read Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 to 25, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and many other texts across the scriptures. The reason why this process is necessary is because something went wrong in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we veered off the path of righteousness by listening to Satan the devil, the original liar, according to John chapter 8, verse 44. And as a result, there have been many things that have resulted from that, such as what we suffer from time to time, sickness, pain, poverty, death at the very end. So those are the consequences of sin. So the kingdom of God, the purpose of it is to eradicate or remove sin and the institutions that champion that. For example, the systems of this world that make certain people become very rich and powerful. They just lead the world versus the many people at the bottom that don't have a say in what happens and sometimes suffer. They're poor and all that kind of thing. So there's a system that creates that and has maintained that for thousands of years. And the kingdom of God its purpose is to rearrange the way the world is set up so that rather than having a few people at the top oppress everyone else and then Satan is kind of at the top of everything because he's the God of this world according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. Rather than having that system with all the iniquity that goes with that, God Almighty is interested in having a world with peace and freedom where people can live without fear of any kind of consequences, as it was in the Garden of Eden, according to Micah chapter 4, verse 4, and Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. 
The way that is going to be created is an interesting process. And now I'm going to divide it into four parts, four things that must gradually happen for what God Almighty wants the world to be in the future to come to pass or to take place. The first thing that must happen is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. And more specifically, I mean the preaching of the established kingdom. As I often say in this channel, Jesus Christ has returned in fulfillment of the signs of the times in Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. Because historically, spiritually, whichever way you want to look at it, the past 100 years has been a very interesting part or time in history because the monarchies have collapsed. A system which ruled the world for thousands of years has basically lost its power. And now we are seeing democracies, a completely new kind of leadership, which gives people a bit more freedom to decide who they want to be, how they want to live their lives, which, if you read the scriptures, is in the direction that God wants to take the world. If we read Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7, Isaiah the prophet had said that when the kingdom would be established, which is in our time, people would be sent out to announce that good news, announce that Jesus Christ has returned and is now ruling in the midst of his enemies. According to Psalm chapter 110 verse 2, and that Isaiah account I just cited reads, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Zion in this case refers to the house of God, of which all Christians belong to, according to Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. And the text is saying that the establishment of God's kingdom, which is Thy God reigneth in the verse, would be announced to those people. And we're seeing that that gospel is indeed being preached in our time. The message is being sent that now we are in a new dispensation. And if you read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, you see that Isaiah the prophet said that during this time, God Almighty would gather people to his fold, which is a part of the kingdom process. People coming to the new reality, to the new dispensation. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. The different places that are being mentioned here, we shouldn't take them literally. I mean, they were literal places, but in this specific sense, they're not referring to those particular places only, but to the whole world. Because as Christ said in Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30, the 12 tribes of Israel now means the whole world because Christ is ruling the whole universe. According to Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, his rule is everywhere present. And so those different locations are referring to the whole world that the gospel will be preached to. And from there, God Almighty would bring his children to him. So that is essentially that. And that forms a big part of the kingdom of God. It is how the kingdom of God expands. Then another important part of this is the gradual decline of the world's current institutions. Like I said, the reason why there's even restitution that the Bible talks about is because there's something not right about the system that used to be that now needs to be corrected. 
And we're beginning to see that there are many institutions that used to be flowering in the past that, well, aren't enjoying that same success anymore. We're seeing that in the social side. There are many social institutions, including religious institutions, that are not seeing the same kind of success that they used to. Like, let's take religion, for example. You can see that in Christianity, people are not as interested in attending churches as they used to be. Younger generations are more interested in technology, trends of today, whereas it's the fathers and the grandfathers that are still attending church services and showing any sign of interest and faith. And, of course, that isn't a good sign for religion because religion is based on it being passed from generation to generation. So it's like we're beginning to see a case where it might all disappear in fulfillment of Amos chapter 8 verses 11 and 12, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 2, and Matthew chapter 24 verse 12. You can also see the decline in certain political institutions. Political leaders today don't have the same respect and power that they used to have 200 years ago. They're criticized, they're sacked from time to time, they're changed often. So that didn't used to happen 200 years ago. One person would sit in there for 50 years, but that isn't the case anymore. And that is in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Things are now changing. The tables are turning. Things are being overturned now, according to Ezekiel chapter 21, verses 25 to 27. And also in the economic institutions of this world. There's increasing instability in the economy due to political and other kinds of conflict. So we could go on and on in that direction. So it is the gradual decline of such institutions that advances the purpose of God because the instability that the gradual decline of these institutions causes will help to create more room for a new kind of system to thrive. Just as in the two world wars, there was a lot of conflict and that was what gave birth to the freedom and democracy and so on that humanity rejoices about today. So it's an important concept we get that the shaking of current systems is what is required to give birth to systems of tomorrow, which is why Jesus Christ said there'd be earthquakes during this time in Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. Then a third thing that's going to happen in the last days, which we're already starting to see, is a change in leadership. And I touched on this a little bit already, but... If you look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus Christ essentially revealed his philosophy of leadership that he wants to govern the world. And let's consider that text. He told his disciples, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. For whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So the idea that leaders serve instead of being served is Christ's philosophy of leadership. And because he's king now, he's beginning to implement that. Which is why we're seeing that many Western countries today are having leaders that are more interested in service. They don't require so much service to them, but they often talk about service to the people. 
And that talk is going to continue and it's going to go across the world because that is more of the direction that God wants the world to be in rather than a situation where there's one man and everybody is trying to serve and please him. So that is where the world is now going. And one more thing I want to mention is that the kingdom is also changing the mindset. It's not just going at institutions. It's also changing the way we reason. You can see that in history, people used to love the idea of going to war. It was like sport. They liked, they were excited about that idea that now they can represent their country, they can fight against others and win. But that isn't the case anymore. Even if you have all the weapons and the military power you want, the idea of fighting other people, destroying people's lives, ruining property, people don't fancy that anymore. It's not seen in a very good light anymore. And that's in fulfillment of Bible prophecy that states that war would cease, according to Psalms chapter 46, verse 9, and Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. People are now moving more in that direction because the kingdom has now been established and Christ is moving the world in the direction that God has always wanted it to go. There are many more things that we can mention, but what I want you to remember is that all these things are taking time. I've, we've been in this process for the past 100 years and there have been many changes, but there are many more to go because spiritual things, they need time to happen physically because physical things need to take time to grow and reach a certain stage, just as human beings, for example, need to grow. And we'll continue to watch this process until all the prophecies about how the kingdom of God would flower and everyone would flock under that idea would fulfill. And what prophecies am I talking about? Let's consider Psalm chapter 145 verses 10 to 13 as an example. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. I'm also talking about Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, where Isaiah the prophet said that Gentiles, or the world over, would come to this new reality, the idea of freedom and peace and happiness, which the kingdom is driving in our time. And that text, Isaiah the prophet said, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. What light and what brightness is this? It's referring to this new idea, which is gaining ground in our time, and people are beginning to flock to it. Institutions are being created based on these new principles of freedom, peace, and righteousness. And this process is going to continue until eventually all ends of the world will meet this idea. As the psalmist said in Psalm 22 verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. And that is where I'm going to stop on that subject, the kingdom as a grain of mustard seed. To conclude this episode, let's hear a tune that some of us might enjoy.
let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing your kingdom to us. And we are grateful to you that you have helped us to use the scriptures to understand that your purpose is indeed fulfilling in our time. We pray that you will continue to fulfill your precious promises written in your word, so that we as your children who trust in your word and your promises will be able to reap the benefits of the peace, prosperity, and freedom that it will provide for the righteous. All to your honor, glory, and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Have a good day, and God bless you. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.